So welcome to ITAD Talk, and our guest this afternoon is Al Salerno, and he is a veteran IT support technician with a background in project and network management, as well as working in managed services for over 10 years. He has managed networks supporting thousands of users across a wide range of environments. To give you an idea of Al's caliber as the director of IT for Longo Inc., they only experienced one hour of unscheduled downtime in three years. Al is also the founder of Elite IT Services, where he provided IT services to small businesses for over eight years. He is currently the IT support manager for Pathline Laboratories, which provides pathology services and COVID-19 testing to the medical industry. Al, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Welcome to the ITAD Talk Podcast with your host, Jeff Bittner. Uh, but that's pre- predominantly where I got most of my field experience, um, just working with you know big companies like Chase and Merrill Lynch and things like that. Um, everybody thought the world was coming to an end when the zeros changed. So that was kind of like my, um, my boot camp. And then after that, I just started doing a lot of consulting work, um, working for various firms in the city. Um, and then in between, had a lot of opportunities to work for big organizations like NBC and, and uh, companies like that that were more global companies. Um, and just sort of just kind of never really specialized in anything, wanted to just sort of find my niche in what kind of IT I wanted to do. But I inadvertently was finding a niche with, um, you know, support in general and just sort of keeping it more to the front of the house than it was necessarily back end, although I did have a lot of experience um, or rather opportunities to experience, um, you know, traditional back-end server infrastructure, networking, and stuff like that. Okay. And um, I, I know that um, there's been a lot of content put out about uh, network security these days. And uh, as somebody who actually works in the field, what are some of the common misconceptions or issues with a discourse around network security these days? Or spoken another way, what types of messaging would you put out there about network security if you were going to put some uh, information out? Well, I think the biggest misconception is actually what is, you know, cybersecurity? Like, what does it entail? Um, I know just having a lot of colleagues that have now become certified as, you know, um, cybersecurity experts, that even I didn't even realize how many different facets there are to, um, you know, compromising somebody's identity, network, infrastructure, things of that that nature. So, I think the, the, the term in general um, for network security is kind of like one of these terms that is kind of used a little bit too often. And not many people actually know what cybersecurity threats are. Um, I would say the second is like the course of action that people take. Um, you know, saying you're going to be cyber secure and then doing it are two different things because there's a lot of planning involved. There's a lot of infrastructure changes that are involved. How is it going to affect you know, how you do things moving forward, the support that you get. Um, I mean, even here at Pathline, we have just, you know, tremendously locked things down and it changes the way we now interact with our third-party vendors and, and, and advisors. So even when they want to get in, 
you know, it's like we have a new way of doing it. And sometimes it's not as well received. Um, but we know we're doing the right thing because we're protecting our infrastructure. I mean, yes, it's very convenient to be able to just have somebody jump onto this server or that, but it also means that anybody else could who actually knows what they're doing when it comes to like breaking in. Um, so just how you apply it, um, how you take measures and how it's going to be deployed. And then I think also preparing your end users as well is just as important because, uh, you know, it's kind of like I always attribute it to, you know, post 9-11 world, you know, do you want to make your flights and have your, you know, get through the checkout on time? Or do you want to run the risk that somebody else got on board with something that could potentially ruin your flight? <laughs> right. So, you know, I personally would rather wait in line longer knowing that, you know, the people that are don't, don't have the best intentions are going to be halted. And the people with the right intentions, you know, while being inconvenienced, are going to be secure long-term. So setting people up for that anticipation, like, hey, you're still going to be able to do your job, but you may have to do this or you may have to do that. There might be a checkpoint here in order to do that, but it's certainly better than the entire company getting taken offline or you losing data. So, so, so to give us some, of, some sort of context on um, what it takes to, to protect the network, um, if for a fairly... I'm going to say a company of a thousand, thousand people. Um, how many, um, I mean, could one network security guy manage that? Or since there are so many facets, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, there's different approaches to it. I mean, having worked in the managed services industry, um, I've seen, you know, that's, that's something where, you know, a company that is taking on the responsibility of, your network infrastructure as is um, may also have, you know, one or two experts on staff that specialize in that, and then they can approach it from, you know, a consulting standpoint. Um, I actually wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to speak on how many people per, you know, how many, how many experts it takes per thousand people. I think it really depends on, you know, to what extent you want to um, secure things. So for example, um, you know, Office 365 is now, you know, pretty much unless you're really dead set on running your own email server these days, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much everybody's using Office 365. And because of that, we've seen an increase in the potential, you know, vulnerability of now Office 365 organizations that do not have the security measures in place that Microsoft already has. Microsoft's actually doing the heavy lifting by providing it, but mm. they're now going about, you know, the people that are looking to penetrate these organizations for uh, the wrong reasons um, are now looking to do that. So I've, I have found in my experience working with different companies that it really just takes that awareness um, to say, oh, like, I didn't even know that this feature was available and you don't really, it doesn't cost you anything extra with Microsoft to do it. I'm not giving a plug to Microsoft, but I'm just saying, like, that's just one thing that you could do that your company's already paying for um, and just tremendously lock down that one, you know, and let's one face aspect. it, everybody communicates through email. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody compromises your email system, that's, that's a huge deal if people are not educated, made aware that, uh, you know, that letter from the CEO that told you to send your wire $2,000 was mm -hmm. not actually from the CEO. So, 
So do you think you get the same type of security through people using like a, G- a Gmail suite or is it drastically different? Um, I see I see a trend at least with, let's just take one industry, uh, one product, uh, which is email, like you said, with the difference between Gmail and Office 365. I see everybody taking the same measures. Um, I was actually just working with somebody recently who was uh, working with a Zoho, another, you know, kind of Google um, instance, and they have an email system. And, and in working with, you know, trying to understand what they wanted as far as security-wise, um, this person who was telling me that they were setting up their client that way. And, yeah, it, it was very similar. I mean, two-factor authentication, which is basically that app that runs on your phone that gives you the six-digit code before you can actually log in, I mean, that one step alone can be a tremendous lifesaver, um, but it's like anything else. Like, you have, to, you have to turn it on in order to do that. So um, I see, to answer your question more directly, yeah, I see similarities. I, I think Google okay. is just, just as up to par as Microsoft is when it comes to that level of security. And then what are some of the unique challenges uh, and learning experience uh, for you transitioning to the healthcare area? I mean, healthcare, I found that through the industries, um, the things that you have to adapt to when you change specific industries probably have less to do with IT and more to do with just the pace of the organization or Mm. the way things get done, the communication that gets done. Um, IT is still IT. I mean, when I came to Pathline, it was still, it's all about setting the expectations of, people that have these minor problems, everybody's focused on what they're doing and we don't want to prevent anything from affecting our, you know, our patient's outcome, especially in pathology. You're talking about people's, Mm, you know, lives. I mean, you're talking about whether or not somebody's going to find out they have cancer or not. You really don't want that to fall on to, uh, gee, we couldn't print your results out. So, um, that, that doesn't change no matter what industry you're in. Um, I would say just in terms of, the actual requests that say come into the help desk may sound a little different because they're, you know, EMR related or, you know, systems related that have to do with patient data and confidential information. So it's also like, you know, how do I handle this? Who do I CC? Um, who are the right people to talk to? Because now you're dealing with something very important like pe- people's uh, information. So, uh, but the approach is pretty much the same um, when it comes to, you know, patching and support and things of that nature. So luckily it's not too different. Um, it just, it's really just, it's kind of like knowing your audience, um, as opposed to, let's say if, you know, you're working in the fashion industry, you know, um, what are those expectations? What are the, what do people expect for their IT support or how to handle that sort of information? Okay, so here's a question. What does um, Apple do right based on your, your unique experience? So anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge Apple fanboy, um, and it's really for it's actually for more reasons having to do with the ideology than it is the tech. I mean, their products are, you know, in my opinion, stand in a class by themselves. But it's really if you really dive deeper into you know what Steve Jobs was trying to do. Um, I don't know where it's posted, but there is one keynote speak where he he basically described his principles for IT support and bringing products to the general public 
was all about the fact that people have a simple task to do, whether it's, you know, creating a spreadsheet or, you know, entertainment or whatever. And the problem is that sometimes the technology gets in the way because people aren't tech savvy. And so his idea is that if you take the technology out of the way, then the people can get their work done. And so I kind of identify with that approach because that's how I support people every day. I try to take the technology actually out of the way, focus on what they're actually trying to do, and then I teach them how to use the technology so that they're not thinking about how they're doing it. They're just getting their job done. And I had the fortunate experience of actually going through some of the Apple certification training. And it was kind of interesting because unlike, say, Microsoft training, which, you know, it is 90, I would say 99% technical involved, Apple, their certification training has almost like 50% to do with customer interactions than it does with how to fix the customer's problem or how to fix the tech itself. And that resonates huge if you're really, you know, now in my position responsible for getting people to, you know, get their job done, but without making it seem like it's so difficult because of the technology. Um, so that's really the, the customer service, uh, the centralized focus to customer service is really what I love about Apple. And you see it every day with the way they use their products. They improve their customer support resolution techniques just as much as they improve the product. So, you know, this product or that software can do this, this, and this, but now you can communicate with customer service using, say, text messages or an app that's solely dedicated to pulling diagnostics off your smart device, uh, sending you information, like taking the technology out of the way because people don't want to deal with the technology, and then when it doesn't work, they really don't want to deal with it. So I found it interesting that part of the certification courses was, you know, when somebody says to you, I did this to my technology or my phone broke, there was so much emphasis on don't make the customer feel stupid. Uh, don't make the, don't say it this way. And literally the, the difference between like the multiple choice questions were the difference between a comment or a statement that made the customer feel stupid versus you know, like having that comfort level so that you could then move on to the next phase, which is maybe it's not so much good news like, hey, your phone is out of warranty and you're actually going to have to buy a new phone. So it's like you're dealing with a, a lot of different things, but because you're because they're focused on the core, which is the customer interaction and the relationship, it makes it very easy to kind of take that approach to even giving the bad news because you've already made the customer feel, you know, good about the entire experience. Um, and it's kind of interesting today. I just happened to see on LinkedIn um, a quote from Maya Angelou. I don't even know if it's accurate because you never know on the Internet. But um, it was an int interesting quote that says, uh, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. Mm. And I think that kind of rings true a lot in the IT world because we have to deal with so many different variables that – Sometimes it's not just about getting the job done because there may be a future interaction with that person and you want to make sure that you're just as well received, not for the sake of your own ego, but more like that it's a productive interaction with people. So well, that's, that's really, kind of my yeah, that's really, a nutshell. That's really a great uh, quote there. 
Don't forget to subscribe and like the show on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you listen.